I'm Tucker Piedmont, and welcome to Thundercast. This week on Thundercast, I'll be interviewing two of Eastern Green School's teachers. One of them is James, is one of the newest teachers, while Miss Tar is one of our most experienced. I will be interviewing them about their views on teaching. Hey everyone, I am Avery James. I'm a first grade teacher here at Eastern Green Elementary. This is my second year of teaching my first year back home being at Eastern. My name is Tracy Tarr. I have taught from, uh, this is my 29th year of teaching at Eastern. I have taught everything from seventh grade pre-algebra up to calculus two and every class in between over my time. What really made you guys want to start teaching? What put you onto that career path? I think for me, I had so many influential teachers growing up um, that I formed close relationships with in the classroom and then later on friendships with. But definitely the person that really kind of opened my eyes to teaching was my great aunt. Um, And she, just the best way to to describe her, she's so full of life, full of energy. And anytime she talked about the activities she was doing in her classrooms or talked about things that her students had told her, stories or how that they had grown, really just kind of lit a fire in me. And once I got to college and started exploring education classes, I really found that passion. Excellent. Uh, Mine goes back to teachers as well, but a little different story on the same thing. I mean, I graduated in 1985 to date me a little bit. But in high school, I had set the goal I was going to be a dentist. All the way through, up through senior year, I had already applied to IU, had been accepted, had my dorm assignment, and it was literally one of my coaches. It was my volleyball and softball coach, and she's like, really? Is this what you want to do? And I just had this epiphany one night. I woke up and went, no, I don't want to stick my hands in people's mouths (laughs) all day long. What is it that I love? And it came back to, it was math. I mean, it was truly math, and so I explored some different career options to head off to college and switched, went to Indiana State, which was primarily known as a teaching college, and looked at math, looked at computer science, and did a minor in computer science, and the more, after I hit my sophomore year in college and got out in the classroom and actually started working with uh, small groups of kids, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I love. This is what I want to do, to see that the light bulb come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Thing. it was the coolest feeling in the world to, to me. To just know it, that, that that's yeah. what you wanted to do. And that was it. Uh-huh. I knew it's where I belonged. And what brought you to Eastern, um, you know, after you know, after getting your teaching? Was it just... Um, Actually, when I, when I graduated, um, I'm very much a family person. My, my parents, extremely important to me. My sister, my brother, everybody. We were from Worthington, and everybody had moved within. My sister and brother had both moved within five miles of my parents' home. And it was one of those. So when I sent out applications, I literally only applied to the schools in Greene County and North Davies, and three of them called. And I did interviews at all three, got all three jobs, and it was one that Eastern... Uh, it was actually Candace Kaywood. Uh, when I interviewed with her, we were on the same page that, look, these were the goals that we wanted to achieve, mm-hmm. that we would not accept mediocrity. 
and a very high level of thinking and that this is the the drive that wanted me and it it also kind of helped that there were some coaching options over here and so I stepped right into JV volleyball uh, the next year into dance and cheer and did uh, softball along the way and so Mm -hmm. it was one of those that wasn't too far from home but still in the county I just jumped the river. Mm -hmm. What about you Miss James? For me it was a little bit different. I'm very much a family person as well. Um, I grew up here spent 12 years 13 years I suppose um, going through Eastern Green Schools kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, Was very involved in the community when I was younger and then when I moved away for college I went to Hanover in southern Indiana So it was only about two hours away, close enough to home, yet far enough away also. Mm -hmm. Um, Parents had to call first. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. They couldn't just show up on the doorstep. And I love that experience. It was great. Um, And then when it came time to apply for jobs, I had originally thought that I would come back home quickly after school, get a job here, um, and then just kind of stumbled upon some job fairs around Indianapolis. So I just decided to go primarily to have some interview experience Mm -hmm. um, before hoping to interview here at Eastern and ended up getting a job offer on the spot at that job fair. And I had just made an instant connection with the principal that I interviewed with. And then whenever I met with them a couple of weeks later to go over kind of the job description, what was available, um, they were not able to tell me that day what grade I would be teaching. And so I left a little bit bummed trying to, you know, make a plan and figure out what I was going to do and not knowing what I was even going to be teaching yet. But I walked out of there that day knowing that whatever they offered me, I was going to take mm-hmm. because something was drawing me to that school. I didn't know what it was, couldn't put my finger on it. And so the principal had called me the next day and said it would be fifth grade. And honestly, my heart sank a little bit because I had never taught anything above um, third grade. I knew I wanted to stick with the younger kids. And to be totally honest, I was completely disappointed in the position that they were offering me. But The more I thought about it, I sat down and I made a pros and cons list, and my pros list was longer than the cons, so I decided to accept it. Uh And then, but then after a year, you yes. So then after a year, I came back. um, I found out that there was a first grade position available at Eastern, and I applied. I had learned a lot at the other school, but it just never felt like home. I didn't really feel like I ever got into clubs or extracurricular activities that I had always hoped to get into as a teacher and a coach, Mm -hmm. and so it just. It didn't feel like the place to stay. I knew that I had went there and spent my time there that I needed to, but it was time to move on. Mm-hmm. So I was ready to come back home after a year. And and what aside from it being sort of the the home the home area, you know, growing up around here and mm-hmm. well, you know, South Central and Indiana, what are the biggest pros of um, being part of a smaller school like Indiana or like Eastern Green? Ninety graduating every senior class, four hundred in the high school, I think seven or eight in the elementary and middle combined. Mm -hmm. What are some benefits of teaching smaller schools? I think for me, it's the community here. And like I said, I grew up here, sports all through school, involved in as much as I could. But even now that I'm slightly removed from the high school, I think even just coming back to games, the community feel here. I mean, most people probably know about our football season this past fall and just going to those games and seeing the support from the community whether it's a sporting event or a family in need I feel like this community always comes together Mm -hmm. after as I say almost 30 years it's one of those I had Avery in class and the probably the neatest thing that I have now is I have so many 
second generation that, hey, I had your mom. Hey, I had your dad. And it's one of those, the connection that I can make with the kids now that, hey, you know, what's dad doing now? What's mom doing now? And, you know, and seeing then when we go to the ball games, you know, everybody talks about parent-teacher conferences and that they've kind of gone by the wayside anymore at the high school level. And I agree with that. They, they really have with the harmony and everything being online sure. and email being so prevalent. But I would say when at a varsity football or a varsity boys basketball game, I have more parent-teacher conferences there. <laughs> than I have yeah. any other time throughout all of my years because it's one of those I try to make sure I'm one that attends almost every home game, girls, boys, at the varsity level. And it's one that I try to make sure I'm very approachable, that if a parent has a question, I want them to come say, hey, what is going on? What can I do? Uh, the other thing that comes into play at the small schools, which I find out frequently when I go to my AP conferences, is they're all going, we don't understand. How are you getting these scores? How do you get 95% of your kids to always pass the AP exam? And I said, guys, it's because... I'm not just their teacher. I know their parents. I know them. I know what activities they're doing. And we meet, uh, you know, once a week of a night. And it's one that the kids come in. And I try to make sure that we have a connection outside of school, in school. And so then it becomes a whole lot more fun when we get together on our nightly sessions. And everybody can sit around and joke and laugh and kick their shoes off and run around in their sock feet and just have fun. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, with, with the community being as spread out, the, the school actually kind of becomes a pillar of the community. A big oh, it's part absolutely of the, the hub. That kind of puts yeah. everybody together. It is. And Miss James, how does that, how much better does that make a, a school like this than, you know, you know, a suburban school like, um, like Brownsburg, was it? You, yeah, you said? Brownsburg. Yeah. You know, like Ms. Tar was saying, I think it's just those events and the commitment to those events that the members of this community have. You have many more years teaching experience than I can do, but even just what you're talking about, I can totally relate because comparing it to prior experiences, my students' parents call me by my first name here. They, you know, shoot me a text if they need something quickly for a kid, um, whereas in other teaching roles, I felt like it was type out a formal email, sit down and shake your hand and have a formal meeting or yeah. conference. And I just, I don't feel that way here. Um, I feel so much more comfortable to be me instead of be Miss James. I don't mm-hmm. have to put on this, right. this kind professional of kind of front. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so I think just being in a community and being in a school environment that allows me to feel that way and allows parents to feel that well, way with me as well. I think you can well. look back as to when you were a student mm-hmm. and that there were very few teachers that you couldn't go in and pop in their classroom or if you saw them right after school and say, hey, I need help. Can, can you just go over this with me one yeah. more time? That yeah, well, and, and that's and, and that's in a large school, that just doesn't happen. No, Many yeah. of the teachers are what we call the eight to three yeah. That they are here at 8 o'clock, they leave by 3 o'clock, and you never, ever see them yep. that, back on the school that property. And, and just because with, with you know, a, like bigger schools, like bigger, like, you know, you've got the massive schools in Fishers mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that and Shoals, uh, where it's the sheer size of the school prohibits that because 
there's no personality. Uh, there's no right. there's no connection between the teachers. They, they oh, at all because for yeah. example, if we just look at a school that's really close to us, B and L at Bedford, they have a lounge that is for each subject area. So therefore, the math teachers really only know the math, math teachers. Sure. And yeah. it's one of those you were probably that way with. You only knew yep. really your grade level teachers. Yep. Well, and to pr- put it into a little bit better perspective, I mean, the district I taught in, there were seven elementary schools feeding into one high school. And I can tell you that the last week of school, the superintendent did not know my name. Yeah. I had met with him yeah. several times, had new teacher meetings, et cetera, et cetera. But you were just this He teacher. could not you call me you by my James first name. Yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas right. here... Mr. Beck told our superintendent was my senior English teacher. I know I can go knock on his door or, you know, pop in any time. Mm-hmm. Hey, help me with this or. Yeah. yeah. If yes. you had a lounge for, you know, the math department or the first grade, mm-hmm. there would be five people in the room. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Absolutely. Exactly. And it's and the other thing that I really like about the small school, teachers can lean on each other a little more. I mean, it's one of those that if I have a sick kid, I literally can walk down the hallway and shoot an email out, mm-hmm. whichever, and say, hey, can you possibly cover my seventh hour class? And everybody is immediate. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, I'll cover it. Not a problem. Go. Yeah. Or if uh, Mrs. Bonard has a question on computer science, it, it gets into a little bit of heavy math. She just bebops down the hallway and says, hey, can you look at this math for me real quick? Mm-hmm. Double check it. I mean, in a large school, never happens. Yeah. No. Never happens. I hear that so much from my colleagues, that they just don't lean on each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we constantly lean on each other. They have to now have what are called professional learning communities, PLCs. I did and that. Exactly. <laughs> and say the PLCs are the really one of the buzzwords now that's yeah. out there huge in the educational community, especially in Indiana and I'm sure across the nation. But they're trying to mix um, different disciplines together just because these people never talk. Don't know each other. Yeah. I mean, and I had a I had a professional learning community every Wednesday morning. Um, for an hour before school started and it was basically just to get us all in the same room I'll say on one hand it was nice because we had set aside planning time with our team but at Eastern we don't have to plan it we just do it like that's just part of the environment here uh, let's face it there are four math teachers and every morning when we're doing hall duty at 745 the four math teachers are typically out here in the hall and that's when we have our plc meeting yep and we discuss (laughs) oh hey i need some more textbooks in here hey what are you gonna how how should i teach this and Uh we go through that a lot and we don't have to have as much formal on the setup as and meetings as such as what the large schools do I agree. And even taking it a little bit outside of the classroom, I feel like it has been so easy for me to form friendships and lasting friendships with teachers that I work with, girls down the hallway. Whereas before I felt like I was making work friends, but I never saw or talked to them outside of those school doors. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's another plus. Well, and and how much of that is just because... You know, if you if you teach in a massive school, how much of that is because you're basically kind of consumed by all of this stuff that you have to do as, as far as student relations and, and, you know, teaching students and getting them all up to speed on all the how, how much of it is that and how much of it is just here you can kind of, you know, you'd have a classroom of 20 to 30 people and then you can kind of take it easier and really communicate more, not just with with the students, but with the your fellow teachers. Yeah, I think for me. Last year, it was definitely a good teaching experience, but it was completely different from what teaching looks like for me or what teaching should look like in my mind. And I just felt like there were so many 
boxes that I had to check off. I'm doing this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. I need to cover this, this, and this. If three students aren't catching on to this math concept, my math block's over, so I have to move on to reading. And to me, that's not teaching. I felt like all I was doing was checking off the boxes because that's what I was told I had to do. Whereas being back at Eastern, I feel like I can shut my door. I can take a break if I need to for a few minutes. I can do what I know my kids need at that time. That's that right there. That says it. That, I mean, that's the biggest difference. When you're in a large corporation, for example, if they're uh, pre-calculus, um, there could be anywhere five, six, seven, eight pre-calculus teachers. Mm-hmm. And there is a set district curriculum mm-hmm. that everybody must be doing this on this day. Everybody tests on the exact same day with the exact same test. Everybody. And so I know, for example, at one of our neighboring schools, actually the pre-calculus class is all on video. And the teachers only go in and hit play every day. And then... Basically an online class. Basically an online class. And so they're never really teaching. They can't stop. They can't slow down. Whereas uh, we have a bad quiz or a bad test. Okay, I say, whoa, breaks are on. We've got to stop. We've got to reteach. Mm-hmm. All right, I obviously did not get my job done. And so, okay, you know, maybe I'll catch the time up somewhere else. And I usually do. But it's one of those that, hey, if I have to take two days and step back, I have so. that luxury. That's what you're Because I am mean. the only pre-calculus teacher. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, yeah, it's one of those. I know where I have to be, but it's my determination of how I get there. So in in a way, it's really amazing how a lot of people might be dismissive of a small school like us and say, oh, you're backwards, Indiana. Well, and they do a lot of the, that we can't give the offerings that that large schools have. Okay, so I'll agree with that to some point that that we don't have as many electives. Mm -hmm. But as far as core classes, there's no one else in the county and very few schools around that even offer calculus two mm-hmm. at this level. Yeah. I mean, and or that have AP environmental science as well as AP bio and all of the other upper level classes that we have at the high school level. And then when you get into the elementary level, I mean, the personalization that yeah. gets to occur there, I'm sure is huge. Well, and it's just those relationships that I feel like I'm better able to form with my students. I mean, I have a couple guys this year that have major, major behavior issues and just working through and setting goals with them. I feel like I have much more time to focus on those kids and being able to take those baby steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my kids that was throwing chairs across the classroom the first week of school is like, learning how to communicate his anger. He can tell me when he's upset. He can take a couple minute break to, you know, do some deep breaths, whatever he needs to do to pull himself back together. Well, and And uh, we have made that progress because of the relationship I've been able to form with them. And in first grade, when, when, you know, they're so small and there's in such this formative stage of Mm -hmm. just, well, I mean, you know, they've only been in school for two years. They really need that personal relationship with their teacher so that they can really get what they need to move forward, right? Absolutely. And, you know, thinking about the behavior things and the emotional stuff, I mean, at that age, that's the time first and second grade teachers need to be working on those so that they can work through those problems in order to clear the room for their academic growth that mm-hmm. is to come. Changing tack a little bit Okay. Uh, right now, we're talking about how great, you know, the small school student, uh, setting is, and it is. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you guys see? Money. Um, yeah? yeah. Money, funding. 
funding, the small school funding right now with the way the formulas are set up. I mean, it's one of those that is set up that the large schools, I mean, that really large wealthy schools are receiving the majority of the educational funding in Indiana. Small rural schools, we are definitely at the bottom of the list Mm -hmm. on receiving our funding. And so therefore, yeah, we really have to watch, you know, can we buy this? Is this something that is really absolutely needed in our classrooms? And, you know, and if it is, Mr. Beck told us, always come through and, and has found the money to buy it for us. So, you know, don't get me wrong. We've gotten and If we really need it, we've gotten it. But, you know, it, it's some of those other little perks mm-hmm. that we look at the other schools and we're going, what do you mean you guys have the most expensive graphing, the TI, Inspiron to the level CAA? You know, we've got a set of the 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 graphing calculators of that that are of that name brand, but it's the we have the cheapest level. And, you know, and other schools are like, oh, well, yeah, they just bought it for us or, you know, some software program that, oh, this is what we're using to use for tutoring with our kids. You know, there's just so many drawbacks. And I think funding is probably the biggest issue. Now, the kids will tell you some of the biggest issues with the small schools is what I call the positives. And that's the fact I know most of their parents and they don't like that. Well, I think so. to kind of piggyback off the funding a little bit, um, because of that, small schools are losing amazing teachers because there's no incentive to Absolutely. stay. Whenever we're on a pay freeze for seven years, you know, people are going to start looking elsewhere for other jobs, different mm-hmm. opportunities. Um, so I think that's something that has definitely hurt smaller schools. Yeah. And and something that's kind of coming up right now, as, as at least in educational like politic type stuff they're going private private schools Mm -hmm. absolutely the vouchers the money that's being split now that was all public money is now being split and sending out money now to the private schools and charter schools oh every you get paid so much per student uh for wherever that student is at and so that's why we have to do our uh attendance rates a couple times a year and we get paid by that and i you know as far as the actual details but now it's actually that the money follows the student and so even though they may be going to a private school or a charter school charter schools are the biggies right now that are ran for profit in most cases and you know not always but uh, the money follows the kids so as soon as it used to be that as soon as they dropped out of the public school system mm-hmm. it just stayed within the public school and was divided up among the other students and now um, the money stays if the kid goes to a charter school or a private school then the state says oh well, that's okay. We'll send the money with you. And so that's where we're getting hurt mm-hmm. by that. Obviously, you both you both love to teach and that's why and that's why you're here. Miss James, um when you were going, when you were choosing to enter um the the teaching profession, how like did you think about like that at all about the economic uh situation and the economic future of teaching and how it's Yeah, absolutely. Um it was a difficult decision to make. You know, I had often explored other career paths, and teaching was kind of always my fallback option. Um, it seemed to keep coming up. And at the time when I had to declare my major, you know, I had talked a lot to friends and family. I talked to professors. I talked to my parents about it a lot. And truly, for two, two and a half years, my dad tried really hard to talk me out of teaching because um, at that point, there were no jobs. And you I know. told both of my kids no. <laughs> Did you? One, of, one of them's your age, and he came home with the mom. I'm going to be a math teacher, and I went no, no, you're not. Yeah, 
Uh-uh. It, it was you a hard decision. I mean, I, you know, I take my parents' advice seriously. I'm very close with them. I respect their opinions. But that's one thing that I said, no, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to do it. And if I have to move away to find a job, then I will. And mm-hmm. I did. Um, which, but, is, which, I mean, <clears throat> when it comes down to it, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you look at, um, you know, Indiana and America on the whole, you know, where there's this kind of there's this demand for teachers. Sure. Um, but uh, you have to think at the same time what p- profession most directly affects the lives of the next generation. And well, and, I mean, that's what I've heard so many people say, you know, without teachers, you're not going to have kids growing up to fill all of these other professions. So knowing that I love to work with kids and teaching in different environments, I went ahead and stuck it out, and I'm so thankful I did. And by the time I was a senior and looking for jobs, then there were plenty available. It's a great thing that you're doing. You, you know, you're you're continuing this necessity of, of teachers, um, of good people, you know, going into the business, becoming teachers for students. And Ms. Tar, have you seen that? this kind of like like this sort of mindset um, about teaching change in your absolutely uh, years of teaching absolutely when I first uh, graduated from college in 1989 uh, teachers were in high demand I mean it was one and it was one that I can remember my dad I was the first one to graduate from college and I can remember my dad who um, was was born in 1928 so it was quite a bit older uh, he would go to the coffee shop mm-hmm. and where all the farmers always went. And I can remember going in there with him. And it was like the second week after I graduated. And he put his arm around me and he goes, here, everybody, here's my girl. She's just graduated from college and she's a math teacher. And I can remember the look on their faces of they were impressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was impressive when, oh, my gosh, you're really you're going to teach and teach math, and I can remember that feeling of like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, and I mean, and walking proud, Mm -hmm. and to tell people, hey, yeah, I'm a high school teacher, and, you know, and that lasted for several years. I mean, it has been, you know, I probably had a good almost 20 years of that you felt like you were a professional, and when you talked with people, you were proud to say, hey, I'm a teacher. And, you know, and then this wave started shifting and this change went across the land of the the people who just because they had been in school at one time believed they could teach and anybody could teach and that it just really wasn't that big of a deal to be a teacher. And that's when politics took the big change and everything started shifting. And then we went into the uh, everybody watching everybody's back on the, well, what's going on in your classroom and what's going on in your classroom? And, and then it was like, you know, one bad apple made the whole barrel bad. Mm-hmm. And it was the, oh, well, did you hear about that teacher? That, that Okay, so you've chosen one teacher out of how many thousands and thousands of teachers in the state of Indiana and but everybody has taken on that persona and so then it was almost to the point that you would say yeah i teach high school math and you know it was almost a shameful yeah. kind of a thing to come out and say yeah i'm a teacher and they'd go oh i'm sorry with that kind of a look about it instead of the when i first started going oh you're a teacher that's really neat uh-huh yeah, I feel like so. people constantly like act like they feel bad for me when exactly. I say that I'm a teacher and like, I get it con yeah. 
I I don't feel bad. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh-huh. and that's the and that's the right mindset to have. Yeah. And so, as far as that whole mindset thing, what what do you think would have to change to kind of put things back the way they were twenty years ago? Not money. No. I I mean, and I think the mindset will come. I mean, I think it will. Everything goes in waves across mm-hmm. America. It, ha- it has forever. And I and it's one of those of that people are going to get back on the board that, look, no, these teachers are doing what they need to be doing. They're working hard. We cannot let a few bad apples because there are bad teachers out there. I mean, we all know it. We've either had them in high school. We've had them in college. We know there are some teachers that should not be in the profession. But it's one of those of everything will swing back the pendulum swings back and forth and so it'll eventually swing back to the other side mm-hmm. yeah i agree i think I, the mindset will definitely change. well and eventually. i think a lot of it'll be whenever they start realizing that dealing with first second third year teachers constantly because of teachers leaving the profession that you know they're saying now that most teachers stay in the profession three to five years and they're done and they move on then to a better job Mm -hmm. i mean we've seen that happen here several times already in the last five years of teachers moving on to different careers well and that's actually something that well education educational systems uh, the government um some colleges are doing now uh where they they give like student loan forgiveness to, to people that go into teaching for x amount of time what do you think about that um i think it's awesome because i plan on staying in the teaching profession so i have three more years until i can apply for a whole lot of my loans uh, to be covered which Mm -hmm. is nice um but you know i think it's in a sense i almost think it's sad that they have to offer that to try and convince people to stay in this profession for a minimum of five years Mm -hmm. um i mean i went to college with several students that taught for a year and then said forget it i mean i had there was one classmate I can think of that walked out, I think, halfway through her first year of teaching and has not been back in a classroom since. Wow. I mean, and it's unfortunate that she had such a terrible experience in the district that she was in um, to have to do that. But I think that, you know, no matter what the incentives they come up with, I think the people that are truly passionate about being teachers and staying in the profession are going to do it with or without those incentives. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's more of a of, of a way for um people for them to draw in um, teachers or do you think it's more of a way for them to fill the need for teachers um, as far as offering this this kind of program because in in a lot of for you it's a win-win situation mm-hmm. you get to teach you get your you get your college paid off um, but for other people it's also like uh, oh my god I have to teach because I've also got a hundred thousand dollars in you know loan debt right. which is also yeah. a, a right. growing problem in higher education systems I mean I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think it's trying to retain yeah. retain teachers. I just think there are so many that, you know, that truly probably have a passion, that mm-hmm. have a passion. But once you get out there and you get that first paycheck and you're like, what? Yeah. I can't, how am I going to pay rent and pay a car payment and pay for the utilities and actually have money left to eat on? Mm-hmm. You know, because first-year teacher salaries, some of them are really pretty low, uh, especially around the state of Indiana when you get into some of the small schools. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those of I think it's about retaining them, uh-huh. that look, okay, you stick it out with us for a while. You know, hopefully you get to move up the scale a little bit. And then you're going to get this huge bonus if you just hang on. And then life's going to look pretty good because they're coming out with car payments, rent payments, and student loan payments. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those that if you can just hang on, 
then yeah, we're going to alleviate some of those mm-hmm. worries. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a little bit of a different take on that because the district that I taught in last year was so much wealthier than, you know, Eastern being a small public school. And I took a huge pay cut to come home, which was another huge obstacle I had to face. So I got my first teaching paycheck and I was like, wow, this is actually more than I thought it was going to be. I can do this. And, you know, then I got my first paycheck this year and I was like, oh, how am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. So it's just mine was a little bit backwards, I think, from a lot of teachers. Um, And, you know, now hopefully with some pay increases, I'll start working my way back up. But, you know, it's definitely something to think about. And it's I feel like it's a huge obstacle for people who are considering going into teaching. And then even after you have that first job, can I really stick this out? I mean, can I afford to live Mm -hmm. on this pay scale? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the comments on that pay that I'll make, um, which, again, dates me a little bit. When I graduated in 1989 from college, one of the first things that one of my professors had told us in our methods class was, you know, you can go online. All pay scales are public. You can find out the pay school pay scales of all these different things and and actually that was one of the things I asked for when I went into my different interviews and out of because I had already explored I was in Terre Haute so I'd explored Vigo County a little bit knew Mm -hmm. what their pay scales were I'd already been to Monroe County knew what theirs were Eastern was by far the highest really by far the highest Hmm. whenever we started teaching Huh. And Why so, do you think well, that was back then? Uh, and actually, it was uh, one of those that I had asked some of the older teachers who were here at the time and said, you know, what's the deal? What's going on? And they said our school board had a realization that if they wanted to hold teachers, we were so close to IU that what was happening was um, at the time, it was usually male. Male people would come in, males would come in to IU to grad school. And their wives would have picked up teaching license mm-hmm. in college. So they'd just commute on out here and teach for one or two years while their husbands, just for a little extra income while the husband was in graduate school. And as soon as the husband was done, then they'd just bebop on down the road. And so what was happening, the turnover was, I mean, it was a revolving door wow. at this place. It was low pay. We were one of the lowest around, and it was only drawing because it was the revolving door. So the school board then said, wait a minute, we really need to hold on to some of these teachers. We're some really good teachers are just fleeing as fast as they can go. And um, over the course of three years, we ended up with about a 12% raise, which was huge. I mean, the first year I started, it was a 7.5% raise. And, you know, I'm going, oh, is, is that good? Mm-hmm. You know, has the little new uh, kid in the building kind of a thing. And they're going, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And so that was what changed the dynamic. And so just in, as I say, in the 28 years, 29 years that I've been here, we went from the highest paid around to now one of the to lowest. Uh-huh. And it's, everybody passed us by and we couldn't keep up. And it's hard to keep teachers. Exactly. I mean, we. And so, therefore, we're starting the revolving doors again. Uh huh. All right. And so, if you. And that's, and that's the disadvantages of. of or or the, the problems with teaching from a, maybe an administration level. What are some of the challenges you guys face um, on the, the student level with, with teaching with the classroom? I mean, you've, you've probably correct. Like, you both, to some extent, have really honed your craft. For different lengths of time. Right. 
but what are some of the persisting challenges that you guys see? Uh, Mine would definitely be the students that don't meet my expectations, that I have higher expectations for them than they have for themselves on what their true abilities are. Uh And it just absolutely drives me nuts. Uh because I know what so many of my kids are capable of, and it's how do I get that little bit more out of them. That's, I mean, that's still, I mean, that's the one thing that really bothers me, Mm -hmm. is that I feel like I'm failing if they're not giving me everything they've got. How do I inspire them? I feel like for me, um, it's, you know, expectations to an extent, whether my expectations are too high for my higher level kids or whether I even give some of my lower kids an an expectation and they have a complete meltdown because they can't meet it. They don't have the skills to meet it. But one of the biggest things for me is figuring out how to differentiate for my kids. Um, First grade is so focused on reading. I mean, they're learning how to read at that point. You know, kindergarten, they learn their alphabet. They learn some sight words. Now we're starting to put those words together. So kind of figuring out what level each of my students are on and then putting them in a group that is best fit for them so that they can read the stories, but so that I'm also still pushing them to learn more. It's just that constant balance of, you know, my groups change every couple of weeks because some students are progressing, some aren't as much as I had hoped they would. And then my groups are totally different in math. Um, so then that takes a whole new turn. My high kids may not get this concept at all, whereas my lower reading kids, something suddenly clicks uh-huh. and they're wonderful at math. So it's just that constant balancing act of, you know, moving things around, trying to figure out where they best fit basically every week. Because things are pretty pretty compartmentalized mm-hmm. at that level. You know, you do this hour for, you know, math and this hour for that, and then they go to recess and lunch and stuff like that. Yeah. And so inversely, what are some of the, what are the number one joys that you guys have with teaching on that on that level with students? Um, Mrs. Tar kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but just that when that light bulb goes off and kind of that like aha moment. I have a couple students that have really, really struggled with, we're starting double digit addition, (laughs) you know, compared to calculus, two totally different levels, Um, but really struggling with double digit addition. We've been working on it for the last few weeks. You know, I've had tears so many different days in my classroom oh, with them trying no, to get it. that sounds similar to calculus. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that I sounds very similar. similar. I, yeah, <laughs> I see that matching up really well. So, and you know, just seeing that struggle and the frustration in the student, and then, you know, I get frustrated because I don't know what else to do to help them get it, and then they suddenly got it. Mm-hmm. Like, just the smile, the joy on their face, the, thank you, Miss James, you know. I mean, they're tiny and they're cute, so Absolutely. they're always sweet. But it's just that moment when they finally get it. It finally clicks, you know, the pu- pieces of the puzzle come together for that kid, and they just get it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, the light coming on and, and all of that. I mean, the normal traditional things. You know, it's one of those, Mrs. Finn does the... Um, uh, uh, notes of kindness. Sure. You know, and I never know who they're from, but when I get one of those and I'm like, wow, you know, I am making a difference, you know, and it's that feeling of that you really have done something. Or, you know, and I know this sounds, I mean, because of course, you know, math is the number one and so forth, but 
when a kid, you know, comes to me and says, look, here's the situation. I'm trying to set, set figure this out about what I want to major in. Can you just help me kind of walk through it? And, you know, it's one of those of that, look, they are, they do want my opinion other than just a math teacher. And the best feeling in the world, um, which first off, I'm, again, this is a small school setting. Uh, the majority of the students, especially in calculus, have my number. I mean, and it's one of those that I get text all hours of the night about, hey, I'm looking at this, hey, I'm looking at that. But when I get those texts from kids that are in college, hey, guess what? I just got, you know, a B plus on my Calc 3 test. You know, that's one of those of the, that's cool. Uh That's way cool. And it's one, you know, that I'm running around going, hey, Rich, look, you know, I just got this text. And, and you know, when kids come back and say, oh, my gosh, you don't even know how prepared I was. You know, I was so far. And I even showed, I mean, I had a kid this year that's in Calc 2 at Purdue. And he comes home on the weekend and he gives me the, you know what? Nobody in, they're in little groups of about 20 for their Calc 2 classes. Nobody in my group knew how to do this. And I showed him this shortcut and how cool it was that if you just line up the table and you do it using this, that is so neat that you showed us that. You know, I like that. Uh Because that's... That's not. That's the fruits of your of of exactly. your work. That's like seeing your own kid going up to college. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you'll see that you know coming up because well I'm I'm just thinking about like um for example the like honor jackets mm-hmm. uh, ceremony uh right. where where you know the the kids who are getting their little jackets they they call one person from each school mm-hmm. you know and that's where you really get to see what an impact you made and I mean you'll definitely see that and that's Uh, something that I'm looking forward to you know I plan to stay here and I I'm already thinking ahead about you know I love these students that are in my first first grade class at Eastern Green Elementary and I already like can't wait to see what they do once they get to middle school what they do once they get to high school and I think that's something I've actually reflected on a lot recently that I'm just I love having them now, but I'm also so excited to see what they do down the road. Right. And that's one of my biggest thrills when the kids come back at the varsity football or basketball games. Homecoming, I mean, like they immediately come up and I'm like, hey, how was the first semester, you know, freshman year? And it doesn't matter if it's their senior year of college. Hey, or, you know, how's that first year of work? And it's one of those that, you know, they immediately are like, oh, my gosh. You won't even believe I did. And, you know, and they start sharing all of this with me. And I'm like, you know, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. That is just really what my whole purpose is, is that I want to see. Yeah, I want great math kids. Don't get me wrong. But it is so much more important to me that they are really good people, that they leave my room having some organizational skills, having some study skills and having some life skills about how to treat each other. So Mm -hmm. that's what and, you know, that's what a lot of the night sessions are about. It's about just the everybody coming together and having fellowship. And yeah, it's okay to be a math nerd. And, you know, it's okay. It's okay and to it, care about school. It is. And is. And that's one of the things that I really try to emphasize is that. That's, would you say that that's one of the main, like, maybe even more important to see in seeing their accomplishments than seeing that you're making a difference in not making people, like, 
apathetic Absolutely. about school, making them care. And it's not just about school. It's about caring about others and mm-hmm. caring about what's going on in your community and caring about what's going on in politics and what's going on in state. You have to become involved. Mm-hmm. It's not just becoming involved at the school level. And we just have so many people in America and, you know, and in our area that are apathetic to everything, uh-huh. that it's that they just don't have anything that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I know, I get it, most people are not really going to be passionate about calculus. I understand that. But you got to find a balance. So in order to reach the goals, and that's the main thing I try to set for them is, you know, if you have a goal, that this is what you want to become in life, then you have to jump these hurdles. And typically, for the most of the kids I have in calculus, calculus is one of those hurdles. You need to jump the hurdle. So why not let me hold your hand and let you jump over it with me holding you and helping you rather than get to college and sit in a class of 400 and Uh try to jump the hurdle all by yourself. And so I try to really, that's, I mean, my biggest thing I try to instill in my kids is mm-hmm. let me help you while I'm here. Mm-hmm. And Miss James, that's also one of the big yeah. things. That you're no, doing. I completely agree. And even, you know, taking it back down to first grade level, um, I have a couple kids, one in particular that, you know, the first several weeks of school screamed at me that he hated reading and he hated writing. And so I said, how can I make this kid love reading and writing this year? And so that's been my number one goal with him. And we're getting there. You know, he's finding books that he likes to read. He's writing about topics that he wants to write about. Um, so, you know, finding ways to engage six and seven years, six and seven year olds, um, in something that they can stay focused on and stay excited about. But then even like Mrs. Tar said, you know, caring about each other, they don't all have to be best friends. I completely understand that, but we do have to respect each other in the classroom. Um, I mean, and outside of it, I mean, that's what we want. I mean, that's our goal. Our Mm -hmm. goal, you know, you know, we can go on and on about our subjects and yes, we have certain things that we have to cover in our subject as far as standards, but our overall goal is to be is to teach these kids to be good citizens, to be good people. Yeah, I mean, just to you know have this air about them that hey, I see somebody that needs help carrying their groceries across the street. I'm going to go help them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's what I want to see. And in a way, that's what teaching is all about. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much for be- coming on Thundercast. Uh, this conversation that we've really had, it's its really been amazing uh, listening to both of your, you know, stances about everything and your outlook about teaching, the administration, uh, students. Uh, do you have anything else that you'd like to uh, remark upon? Anybody you want to shout out? <laughs> shout out to all my awesome teachers that I had growing up. Aww. Including Mrs. Tar right Yay. now. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Yay. nice. Yeah, I was going to say, and there will be several listening to this that I had you in school, too, as you're listening. Not much different. Nice. Come see me. Let me know what you're doing. <laughs> Come to the game. Uh, yeah, I say, Facebook say me. There we go. So, All right. Again, thank you, Tucker. Thank you, thank guys, you. very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Thundercast. We would like to thank Bloombank for the help of making this podcast possible. Also, please tune in for our next episode coming soon. If you have any suggestions or comments, please email us at thundercat at egreen.k12.in.us. You can subscribe to hear every episode of Thundercast on iTunes and Google Play. All content of this podcast is property of Eastern Green School Corporation may not be used without express written permission. All rights reserved. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>